It's time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Niall McGowan from Bat Minute, and it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But they're erasing me, and I have no memory of any of this. So We've actually done this episode several times already, Robert, but, uh, you know, weren't great takes. Apparently, I didn't save the files, or I took the <laughs> files to Lacuna to use as objects they could erase. Uh, that is always the looming threat, though, in doing a podcast, is like the those files go missing. Thankfully, it's never happened to me in terms of like, we had to go and re-record on my end. Oof. I have had to re-record because of other people <laughs> losing files. I had a show die because we didn't re-record. Oh, wow. It was the wow. second episode, an hour and a half recording, and my and my co-host's audio was gone. Oh, it wasn't the wonderful show, was it? It was. It was. Oh, no. And then it was that was right at the beginning of lockdown, and everything just got different. And I'm like, I can't deal with that right now. Maybe it'll come back at some point. Uh, I was looking forward to that too. It's like, I love that show, but no one right? ever talks about it. And it's like, it's, it's like, oh, finally, finally a podcast for the Wonderfalls fans. I'm like, no, it's barely gone. No, it died in the, uh, who was, I forget who the guest was now, but his audio was great. Yeah. And ours was just not there. As prematurely cut down as the show Wonderfalls itself. Yeah. I think. We got canceled faster than they did. <laughs> yeah. But the, oh yeah, <laughs> Eternal Sunshine. Yes, of the that's what we do this minute is we talk about everything else, hmm. not the movies that are here. <laughs> Where are we? They're, they're, oh, they got um, off the train finally. They're in the car, hmm. which I talked about the filming of this last time. There's basically three people in the back seat and two cameras that the mags are so big, they had to put them out the windows and box them in because yeah. they filmed the whole scene in one go. This is kind of rare for me coming back. This is the first time I've had to talk about Jim Carrey since we wrapped Batman forever. Ah, yeah. Like it's like, he's a fascinating man, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Just like everything about it. I'm certain he's not entirely sane. Oh, right. Like, no, he's not. Yeah. He's just, such, he's just very interesting. And his projects are always so interesting too. There's so many duds and there's so many sort of like half-ass comedies and stuff. There's always a motivation behind them mm-hmm. to him. And he does have a weird, like, you know, you have like auteur theory in terms of like a director is choosing yeah. projects to follow a certain theme and stuff. Yeah. Looking into his his work, it's like, yeah, there's always stuff in there about like media. Especially the more influence he had to choose. Yeah. Yeah. It's like identity manipulation yep. and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, he does have a real eye. And it's got, because now he's brought out his book recently as well, which is also messing with narrative and all this kind of stuff. It's like, he's a fascinating guy. I'll give him that. And now he spends his days painting gigantic paintings. Yeah. And putting them on Twitter. (laughs) I mean, if you can afford to do it, you can afford that to be your life. I mean, I wrote about that in my blog when I did Jim and Andy. Over the course of a week of writing about that movie, I went from being horribly fascinated by Jim Carrey to hating him and thinking he was a horrible piece of shit guy to being like fascinated again. Yeah. This isn't even mean to say he is a damaged person. Yes. Oh, very much. He knows it and he has dealt with it through comedy. Mm. He has dealt with it through drugs. And now he deals with it basically, um, well, still drugs, probably, but different drugs. (laughs) But also a sort of, you know, when he went on, was it the MTV Video Awards, I think, where he came on in like almost in character? Mm. Felt like the guy from the doors. (laughs) That is who he has become. He's like this weird hippie guy. I mean, he wrote a children's book about a wave. Mm, yeah. in the ocean yeah. and how it's ultimately just part of the ocean. Mm. And I'm like, that's a weird topic to give kids, but I get what you're doing with that. Like, yeah. I see who you are. The MTV movie, well, that was the one where he, on the red carpet, he was just sort of started getting into sort of like existential conversations about how right? meaningless, meaningless it all was and stuff. It's like, like, regardless of any offense you took to what I just said, Jim, if you hear this, please come on the show. Cause I would love that. Well, that was the thing too. I, I remember we had so you know wide range of guests on talking about him during Batman Forever, mm-hmm. and yeah, we got people on. And we're like, oh fuck this guy, this what? And it was all from Jim and Andy. <laughs> like it was all right. The, the, and you're like, yeah, that was like pretentious, demented, you know, yeah. uh, method acting gone way too far and stuff like but that. But then for him, it's more than that because it's like he. It's not like it was method acting. It was something he found some level beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the way his brain works. And the fact that he appears in the documentary with like this mountain man beard. Yeah. And he just seems sort of like he's just start talking about like the cosmos and stuff. And you're like, uh-huh. oh, Jim, you're gone. man. <laughs> like you're just you're on a whole other level now. You've, you've just like 
you've gone somewhere I can't follow. I'll have him on here and we can just talk about Ex Machina and Groundhog Day. Yeah. I don't need him to talk about this movie, whatever. <laughs> we can talk about his kid's book. I'll promote that. I was actually generally, I did not know until getting ready for this. Well, how I spent part of my lockdown was like I was stuck in a house by myself for like a month at the beginning of it. Mm. And what I did was like, I'm finally going to watch the Michelle Gondry, Jim Carrey TV show. Kidding. And I love oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, weird time to watch it because it's such a melancholy show. And yes. it's so kind of weirdly depressing. But it was also like, it's great. I loved it. And I assumed, oh, this will be like, it's obviously it's good. I remember people saying they liked it and stuff. This will be back. And it's just like, it's just because of the pandemic. That's why it's not the third season landed. Right. And then found out it was canceled in 2020, like nearly two years ago. Yep. And I only now found out that it's not. It hit me. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh man, that's gone. I, I was waiting for the rest of it. Because that, that show felt very deeply personal to Jim Carrey. Like you can yeah. tell that he's very, very invested in that role. Yes. And uh, him and Michelle Gondry, like that's a real labor love between the two of them. I was like, that's devastating now to find out that those two guys just can't continue that. That's just gone. I was like, oh man. Even in retrospect, I feel like the Truman Show was even a bigger like personal choice of his because him dealing with how his reality is generally artificial. Yeah. Because he's an actor. And he's been on TV and mm. people expect him to be a certain person and if he's not that's a problem yeah that's just all it really goes into like you know the the, the first major folly of jim carrey been the cable guy yeah that's just like you look at the cable guy now though it's just like that's saying so much about this guy as an act the fact that he yep. chose that script and stuff and, it, and that really works coming off batman forever because that's so into like the manipulation you know how tv can yep. warp people and all this kind of stuff it's really really interesting mm-hmm. but yeah so he's he's a big Jim Carrey is interesting. That is the point I'm yeah. trying to make. Oh, yeah. Apparently also, too, this, I'm assuming it's going to be for a upcoming Super Bowl spot, but I saw he is reviving the cable guy for like an advert. Huh? The Super Bowl, which as we're recording is in just in a few days. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll find out. Listeners, you'll know. Because they're like, oh, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with it. It's going to be like, it's just a, it's just a cash in cable cash spot. That, There's yeah. nothing to it. No, thanks. I don't need cable. I have Verizon 5G internet. 5G internet? Never heard of it. 5G ultra wideband? It's way better. <laughs> oh, I see. So somehow your home is connected to the information superhighway on Verizon's ultra fast 5G network wirelessly. Yeah. Magically beaming, powerful, invisible internet into some sorcerer's box without miles and miles of this. Mm-hmm, yeah, right. Mm-hmm, yeah, right. Mm-hmm, yeah, right. Wait! Can I see it? Sure. Whoa. They must have locked you into quite a contract. Nope. Hidden fees? I love those. Nope. Price is the price. This may be illegal, and you could spend time in a correctional facility. I'm going to need to know who installed this. Me. It's plug and play. But you can have Verizon install it. Nice band. Well, let me juice you up at work. Got one at my shop, too. Runs my business. Reception's good. But I'll come back tomorrow and double check. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think we'll need you to come. I'm sorry. I can't hear you. I have my fingers in my ears. No, 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 Cable guy. They did that Groundhog commercial, what, last year? Mm. And they got the, the Matthew Broderick Ferris Bueller one yep. a couple of years back. That did not go down well in Ireland. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, they, oh, he's selling the guy who killed people in a car wreck is now selling cars. Oh, great. Great choice, Matthew. <laughs> so just get Jim Carrey for a uh, selling drugs that you can share with your girlfriend. <laughs> oof, oof. <laughs> that went dark. Anywho, speaking of cars, uh, we're in a car in the beginning. I'm assuming, though, like beyond Jim, though, he kind of had already done it in the Truman Show of playing against type where, although that's almost the Truman Show is yeah. almost like the epitome of, of Jim Carrey role, really. But it's like at the time, it felt yeah. different. Looking back now, yeah. it's like, oh, no, he's still going very broad with this. But it felt then like, you know, Eternal Sunshine was like a whole nother level of this guy going somber. <laughs> It felt like it's almost like there's no performance, but it's so naturalistic. And it feels like that's part of like the, I don't want to say stunt casting of it. Yeah. But then like, would you say the same about like Kate Winslet coming on? Would you feel that to be like, what do people know Kate Winslet from? Like the greatest romance, the the biggest movie ever made. Yeah. 
So most people would know her from at this point. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this great, beautiful thing that won the hearts of the world. And now she's playing like, that's what I love about Eternal Sunshine and just about Charlie Kaufman's work in general. He has this real thing of going into quirky, fantastical stuff, but it's also really grounded in depressing reality yep. <laughs> and real deep melancholy. Yes. And it's always just that way of like, oh, it seems like it's going to be really goofy and fun. <laughs> and I was like, no, it is not. And it sort of is each time too. It just, he combines both yeah. really well. Yeah. At this point, when I saw this first, because I would have been, it was 2004, right? So I would have been like seven, 16, 17 when this came out. And I was looking forward to it too, because I just knew, I knew being John Malkovich. But I think at that point, it hadn't quite sunk in yet that like, that wasn't a fluke that that being John Malkovich kind of ends in a weird, depressing note and stuff. And then like, right. it was very gray and washed out. And there was a kind of an inherent melancholy on it. I just remember seeing all these images of Kate Winslet with the multicolored hair yeah. and thinking like, this is going to be fun. Oh yeah. And the trailer for this movie is bright and shiny and there's music playing. It's energetic. Yeah. Yeah. And then you watch the movie and it's like, but that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think after I watched it, I was like, I remember it didn't come out in a, in a cinema anywhere near my town. Cause it was just too niche. I just remember waiting for the video rental and like running down from school to be like, I've got to run out of this out, this out today. And then getting home and been like, oh, that was much more depressing than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, but then loving it as well. I was like, no, oh, it's just, it was, it was, it was different. And then yeah. again, much like Ex Machina and the Fair Groundhog Day, every time you go back, you're like, oh, there's so much more in this. And the older you get, yep. the more you get out of it. And like once you, like, you know, a 16 year old, I didn't know anything <laughs> about anything. My thing going through it this time like minute by minute is more seeing the stuff they cut out. Yeah. Cause there's so much more of their conversation in the train. It's long enough, but there's more of it with the hair color conversation and him trying to offer new suggestions to that. Like he offers like three mm. in the script and like, he's trying to engage while also being unable to engage. Yeah. It's with like the way he's engaging with Clementine, I think because of your expectations of everything in the movie, like, of what a romantic comedy is and what Jim Carrey is like. Right. It's almost frustrating that he's so like awkward. Yeah. And so like just not really talking. And you're just like, why would just 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 talk, man? <laughs> like just do something. <laughs> well, yeah, at this point in the movie, we haven't gotten the title on screen yet. It comes rather late. Mm. And it comes when we do a smash cut to him just crying as hard as possible in his car. <laughs> It's a real mission statement, really. And it is so jarring. It's like, if you haven't figured out what this movie is going to be by then, you know, at that moment, you're in for a lot more than you expected. Yeah. yeah. And not necessarily in a good way. It's going to be depressing. Mm. I'm happy that its legacy is good. Yes. I've never come across someone who watched it who was like, that was terrible. Everyone was like, eventually won over by it. <laughs> I sort of had that several weeks ago with Alice, oh, well. but I'll get her to come back and I'll make her watch it again. <laughs> Or was she going in expecting it to be like, oh yeah, goofball, crazy maybe, comedy? Maybe that was the problem. I don't know. Yeah. That's the conversation I'll have to have with her if I get her back. Is What was it that didn't work? Because, mm. yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorite movies. I love it. And like rewatching it, even though it's sad and depressing. And I mean, it's the point of this trilogy of shows <laughs> is existential thing. <laughs> You're going to do this shit. You're going to have a type. It doesn't matter if it's the same person again. Mm. It matters that you keep going for the same type of person. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to learn to either accept that or change yourself to make it fit. Mm. The thing about it, too, is like it's like I'm sure it's a thing you can't have, you know, you'll be impossible not to bring up several times. But just like even, you know, the way in this minute, Clementine's just talking like little things you get about her. Like, she's, you know, would you want to come in for a drink? I got I a, lot a lot of drinks. drinks. Yeah. Which is kind of like it's tipping the cards of like she's kind of like an alcoholic almost in a lot of ways. Yep. And it's a major character flaw in that, like, you know, this is the thing she's using to lure in Joel, but it's also a thing that he's actually going to really resent her for. Like, he resents her, her constant drinking yeah. and stuff, but that's how she, yep. that's how she loops him in. But it's just the fact that it's like, they present this character who is like, you know, and this came out like what eight years before Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. And Scott Pilgrim's like, like it's this all oh, the you know Ramona Flowers is like, oh, yeah, the dream girl with the multicolored hair, and you know, she if only he'd win her heart, this would complete him as a you know all this kind of thing. Right. And this movie, not knowing, is like sending up that trope before it even happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Her thesis statement very late in the film is basically, no, you can't. I'm not gonna complete yeah. you. Yeah. I'm a person. Mm. Like I am damaged. I am cra like, I wouldn't say crazy. She would, 
but that's what he's gonna like because his life sucks. <laughs> that's just more like referred to like the original comics of Scott Pilgrim. There's much more to Ramona, and he, even in the movie, yeah. she does mention you know of dabbled in being a bitch. Like she's she full on admits to her own faults. It's it's all his own. <laughs> it's just Scott's projections all over. Basically, yeah. There's much more to her than he sees. And most of this movie is literally that. It's his projection of what Clementine. Of course, is. yeah. Because a lot of the time, how he remembers. Her. Some of the time when watching it, you are like. The time you spend with Clementine is his, it's Joel, really, he's talking to. Yeah. It's his memory of yep. a version of Clementine he's made up. So you're like, is it, what is, what is the, because the Clementine we see out in reality is like post lacuna erratic and stuff. And it's right. like, how, well, what is right. she like to actually talk to? <laughs> and we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Probably the purest reference we'd have to what she's really used to be like is when she just sits by him and grabs his chicken, <laughs> which is similar to who she is here, but it's more pleasant or less. She's almost attacking him here when she offers that she's, you know, I came off sort of nutso mm. or I have a lot of drinks. Yeah. Like she's openly telling him horrible things about herself because if he's still into it, she's got yeah. it. Yeah. But it's a that's a weird method. I love though the character is so openly flawed though. Yeah. Particularly because we're going through a, a part of um, in media where there's much more understandable like oh there's push for you know diversity and representation on screen. Right. Great. I love it. But a lot of it is still written by male writers. Yeah. And they usually I I always feel that they're afraid to make their female characters flawed because they don't want to be accused of being like sexist in some way. Right. So you get a lot of like just the woman's always like this infallible just knows better than the men and is just sort of like always comes across very one note, you know, in particularly in action movies. Well, it's always, if they're trying to make it good. Yeah. You also get the classic one where, no, the woman is just some object the man wants. Yeah. But particularly in like action movies, it's always like, who's going to be the stoic badass? It's going to be the woman. And she always not this kind of thing. <laughs> and then, but the, you know, back here with Charlie Kaufman, just like, yeah, you know, Joel's very, very broken, flawed character. And Clementine is a very, very broken, flawed person. And right. I love that. It's like, Yep, the character only gets better with age too. It's like, yeah, she, she's a, that's a great role. Like that's that's yep. a, it's a real dream. Like both of these roles, to be fair, like you know, Clementine's the more flashy role. But yeah. Joel is also like that's that's a dream part for an actor, really. Like to oh, get yeah. the people this messed up. As for the minute, we haven't dealt much with the specifics. She's in his car. She says, look, I'm sorry if I came off sort of nuts. So I'm not really. Mm. Oh, it's okay. I didn't think you were. <laughs> in, in the script, it says there's a silence. She broods. Clementine. Well, I am okay. Mm. She points to a house. Me. He pulls over and she says, thanks very much. That was very nice of you. And he says, oh, well, I wouldn't want to be nice. Mm. And she replies, and I love this. She's like, Jesus, I'm full of shit. <laughs> I already told you that. <laughs> Anyway, see you. Happy Valentine's uh, Day. For, again, for all the fantasticalness in the movie, I've had that conversation where <laughs> you realize you keep describing things as being nice and stuff. And you're like, why, why can't I think yeah. of a better word? Than that? Can you, it becomes a frustrating circular right? thing of like, oh, my God, is this is, is this conversation now boring? Like, what am, what am I? How do I get out of this stuff? It's, it's just Charlie <laughs> Coffin's really, really good. It's just <laughs> capturing the misery of, of, of awkward conversation uh-huh. of every bit of yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> In the film, she's just quiet, and we cut to the exterior of her apartment building, 59 Orient Avenue in Brooklyn. Doesn't exist anymore. It's a different building now. And then we get an angle from inside the car on her and where she offers, do you want to have a drink? I have lots of drinks, Mm. which she does. (laughs) When we get in there, she she has a whole bunch of little miniature bottles and Mm. full-size bottles. She's prepared to make drinks. There's never anything... Like it's always spirits too. <laughs> it's like it's always like yeah. hardcore drink. It's never like, oh, I've got a bottle of beer you can have. It seems right? to be like it's gonna be a drink you're gonna get. And there's some awkward dialogue as he's not quite agreeing to go in. She says, Never mind, sorry, that was stupid. I'm embarrassed now. Hmm. It's like, no, no, no. Good night, Joel. She closes the door and we smash cut to him inside her apartment. <laughs> She's like, Yeah, he's not gonna go. Oh, wait, he went. Yeah. You do get some music in the in the background. Yes. Have you made notes on the yep. what, what what this music is? Just a little bit. It is um, Meramon Terra Piazza. Mm. It's from the movie Gambler, 1971. The title is translated as My Mind Yearns for You. Mm. It's by Mohammed Rafi. Yeah. And in some lyrics, I got, since I've seen you, my heart is not mine. Give your hand in my hand. You've nothing to lose. That repeats. And then now don't break my desires. My heart is yours. My heart is yearning for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the music that was playing in his car. It's very on the nose, but it is so quiet that listening, you can't really make it out. Yeah. I think it's originally, it's in 
like an Indian dialect as well. Yeah. So like, unless you knew you're exactly. Although I do know Muhammad Rafi because when I was a teenager and I went to university and stuff, I, I hung with the alternative crowd. <laughs> and so I knew a lot of people who were kind of like Clementine and stuff. And um, I, like much like myself, they all loved the movie Ghost World, ah, which I still yeah. do. If anyone knows Ghost World, of course, opens with the Muhammad Rafi jumping ha hole. I'm not too sure how you pronounce it exactly, but right. they're Thorbert's dancing in their bedroom to this Bollywood film and stuff. Classic. I used to hear that every house party I went to during my twenties <laughs> would have that stuck on at some point. And like, you know, at least a quarter of the time it was me putting it on. So yeah, I was just happy to see, oh Muhammad Rafi, like I know that guy. <laughs> and it also just added to like, oh, Clementine playing that. So it's like I know kind of people who would play Muhammad Rafi songs during the art of seduction. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering like how much more uh, is it a deliberate choice of Clementine to put on that record to be like, I hope he asks about what this is. Or if it's just like she just stuck on any random music. I don't know, because in the script, she asks him what he wants to listen to. Ah, and does he like, I would like to listen to a Muhammad Rafi. I think it doesn't happen until what would be next when it. So I didn't put it in my notes. Fair enough, fair enough. About Joel, though, is like he does seem to like prior to being lacunid because of a thing that's brought up too when Clementine comes on and talks about the Blue Ruin. Yeah. I know that's a thing that they cut from the script. Yes. Where the Blue Ruin is, you know, it's also it's a, you know, it's a clever little thing just by itself now because it's like, well, these two people are blue and they're in right. ruins. <laughs> like they're literally the, the remaining shells of post-relationship and brainwashing. So it kind of works in that regard. But it's a reference to on the train, they were talking about the Tom Waits album, right. Rain Dogs, which has the what's the name of the song? It's like uh, ninth and Hannapenny? Hannapen. That does have a, a lyric that specifically brings up the term Blue Ruin. Right. When the clang and the thunder of the Southern Pacific going by as the clock ticks out like a dripping faucet till you're full of rag water and bitters and Blue Ruin, which does, you know, a lot of the lyrics are ev- evoking of people sort of lo- lost and listless. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, kind of, you know, t- classic Tom Waits, Charles Bukowski, kind of like the melancholy of the everyday, yeah. basically, perfectly fits into this movie. Yep. But the fact that like they, they were talking about, like I think in the script, isn't it that Clementine brings up the album? It's her hair color. And so she references it's it's one of the things neither one of them remembers. Yeah. Is they know it's Tom Waits. I think he says he owns the album and he remembers enjoying it, but he doesn't remember right. anything about it. Because it's something now they each connect to this relationship. And so they can't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And yet she's drinking it. You think she'd forget how to make Blue Ruins? Well, that's the thing, though, as well. Like you wonder then... Because Joel's an artistic guy. Like, yeah. He's very, very quiet and reserved. But you see that he has, he is, you know, artistic. T- I think that's why Clementine's, that's her attraction yeah. to him. Is like, he's very reserved, but he obviously has. He clearly has something going on in his head. Yeah. She likes it. And uh, so you wonder if, if he's the Tom Waits fan or did she introduce oh, Tom yeah. Waits into this relationship? Or was it a mutual thing that they were both already Tom Waits I, fans? I guess but... if we, well, if we want to overthink it, overthinking it, <laughs> I'd say she had to introduce him to it because she still makes Blue Ruins, which means they haven't been removed from her head, which that's in her head before their relationship. Ah. He only knew it maybe because of her. Well, there you go. Yeah. And so he can't really remember why he bought it. He can't remember listening to it. Mm. He doesn't get the reference. Yeah. As I say, like I, I, I hung out with the alternative crowd like the cool kids back in the my university i think i never never got tom waits like i've listened i've listened to tom, so much tom waits and it's always been like no nah. i know one of the years of the wire they used his cover of the theme song and i like that oh it's his, he did the original oh, his, it's his it's original his, okay it's a weird one like yeah the first season's a cover of tom waits song season they two use, okay. they use the tom That's waits song then season three and four and five, they do different covers. But otherwise, yeah, I don't know if I could tell you the title of one of his songs. Well, way down the hole, yeah. I guess I'd be the only one. And uh, God's Away on Business, know that one. Also from Night on Earth, there's a you know, great Jim Jarmusch movie. He does the score for that as well. He's just a, I find, I do find him impenetrable. Right. Like, he's, I, love, I love him as an actor. And I like his image. I love that he exists. Right. But Tom Waits, I can never, I know guys who will sit down and will listen to Tom Waits as, as a pleasure. And I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I can't get, I enjoy his instrumentation. Even actually, I listened to the the, the song, the Ninth, ninth mm. and Hennepenny. And the actual background instrumentation sounds weirdly like some of the score of Eternal huh. Sunshine. I don't know if that's a deliberate thing. It maybe something they gave to the yeah, to the composer. And it was one of those things where we're like, oh, well, we took out the reference, but you know, it still right. works within the larger whole. 
But if I knew someone who was that into Tom Waits, I think I'd have trouble with the relationship too, quite frankly. <laughs> but it would be a real sticking point. I'm like, oh. What Joel does put on, I did find it. When he looks at her CDs, he picks up Bang on a Can performing Brian Eno's music for airports. Ooh, <laughs> that, is, that is some hipstery stuff. There. Which, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I know, I know the name Brian Eno, but I'm like, I don't know what that music is. And I don't know Bang on a Can covering it. So I've seen Brian Eno give a lecture. People don't know he is the keyboard player for Roxy Music, produced a lot of the Talking Heads albums. Real genius guy. Which came up yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And he did like uh, Born Slippy, the big spinoff single from Train Spotting. That's <laughs> Brian Eno. Big name in music. But I, I remember I, I got free tickets when I was in university, actually, to see him give a lecture. And we went in and the amount of people who walked out because they thought it was a concert. Oh. Like they would keep, they, they just realized it was him standing at a podium talking about the way he thought the future of music <laughs> and stuff, what, the way things were going to go. And then people were just like, what the hell is that? And they were there expecting to play like bringing Virginia. Virginia they were there for a TED stuff. talk. Like they were that. there for a show. But yeah, he does a lot of uh, albums of just like ambient mm, music. Right. He's a real background atmosphere guy. Great stuff. Yeah, imagine like putting on that record. It would just be like, like put on some background noise for our date. Okay. Actually, that'd be a good album name or a song name, like background music for first date. Yeah, that could well be a Brian Eno track, (laughs) to be fair. That's the type of stuff he was doing. Like, um, you did an album with David Byrne too, like My Life in the Bush with Wind and Ghosts or something. It was like, he gets into some stuff. It gets, it gets like, it's not as, I I, I can penetrate that more than I can Tom Waits, but it's, you know, some of it gets a bit too into the, (laughs) it gets a bit too into the bush with winds and ghosts. For a movie called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, it's all appropriate. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever your titles are going to be. It really shows you, like, Kaufman was, he was on the verge of all the synecdoche New York kind of stuff, like, back then <laughs> but it was just yep. something just pulled it back at the last second but he could have been getting into some real like what the hell is this <laughs> this kind of material because that was a movie I, I watched that once and i liked it but i was like i don't know if i can ever do that again <laughs> that is the one of my like sort of it would be weird to do because i'd almost want to do it by myself again like i did annihilation yeah is covering that minute by minute mm. but it is going to be so dense and depressing and overwhelming and i'm like if i could do it right it would be amazing yeah and then particularly too with um i'm thinking of ending things that one's like that's that was another one where i was like i i, I enjoyed this but man <laughs> like that was like at particularly the end it's like that was rough i don't know what the- do you ever see anomalisa because it's it's shorter so you know in oh, theory, actually, it's easier to watch but <laughs> i did i actually did, i remember enjoying anomalisa as well but oh, I, I love all of them but yeah I remember that was the one with the, um, that's the animated one with the, and most of the voices are just the stop motion. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the same guy doing all the voices, but yeah, the guy, he, he had a book out too, didn't he Kaufman? Yep. I never, I feel that one might be a bit too much. I have only read the first chapter of his book and it is essentially a professor explaining why he has a beard. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I would. Uh, and I was like, I, feel I would have okay. trouble with that. I, I I generally read, if I'm reading a novel, I read it like late at night before bed. And I'm like, this isn't a bedtime book. Mm. It's going to be a little much. And I'm like, I got to find another time to read this. And so I haven't gotten back to it yet. Yeah. It was interesting, but I'm like, oof. <laughs> Just like Jim Carrey's biography. I'm like, this is interesting, but I'm not ready for it. Yeah. But it's a movie's only a movie, but like a book is like, that could take weeks yep. of your life. You know? Exactly. It's going to be like that one's, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe I would get into it. Maybe I might approach it. And I was like, all right, give me, give me a, a good pitch for this book. And I might delve in. It's like, do you know, uh, Alan Moore's voice in the fire? Oh Yeah. Yeah. Where chapter one is the perspective of a cave person. So the sentence, it's not proper English. Mm. And at first I was like, I can't read this. <laughs> I eventually read the chapter out loud and realized I understood it. It was like Shakespeare. You just have to hear it, mm. not try to comprehend it, hear it. And then it makes sense in a way. And, but I'm like, I, it, it, you're like actively trying to keep me out of your book. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot. He's like, you've got to earn this book. You've got to right. do it. There are more friendly books I could read. <laughs> There are more friendly films I could watch. I think as you Al Moore then be just like, oh yeah, you, you know, yeah, you go off read one of the other. He's like, oh, sorry, Al. <laughs> like, oh no, I'll try, I'll try again. Okay, no, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, you go off and but read. I, Dan I couldn't, there. I couldn't do it. I... Uh, well, because I think the Carrie's book's the same deal though. 
like his right yeah so because his book is a mix of real biography and fake stuff yeah it's weird to get into i think that came out just as forever was finishing so it didn't get like i know mm. i would have i, I would have felt obligated to read that had we started it earlier <laughs> or I, i'm yeah i think i finally have to read it while this show's gone yeah this is but it was annoying. At the end of Forever, that book came out and Val Kilmer's autobiography came out. It's like, could have used this like yeah. eight months ago. A little late. <laughs> but, was like, oh, now, like, oh, Val Kilmer's got a documentary. Oh, great. Yeah. It's like, well, that would have been handy way back a year ago. <laughs> now, sort of getting back to the minute, I have a question for you. Oh, yeah. Are these potato characters specific references? Well, that's the thing, because like the cowgirl one right would make you think it must have something to do with the cowgirl outfit young clementine right but it's a different outfit yeah 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 it's a different different colored hat different colored shirt and stuff and so then i thought maybe they were film characters Mm. because the one with the really big hair and really skimpy outfit almost reminded me of frankenfurter from yeah rocky Rocky horror Horror. it looks like it's got it's like a got like nipple and right and the viking is like the classic viking fat lady singing yeah kind of outfit i kind of thought it was like a, a bugs bunny thing as well right yeah. it could be yeah uh, yeah are these all outfits that bugs bunny wore no he never wore the dominatrix outfit that's at the end although he, he said that one was frankenfurter because then there's a french maid next to yeah there's a maid next and to i'll be like magenta in rocky horror show as well because yeah the, the maid, okay. maid outfit so so maybe yeah but then i'm like i don't know that i get all these and i'm like if they are i'm disappointed that i don't get it because mm. they are a viking woman someone in like a 80s workout outfit with like leg warmers kind of thing someone who's in a robe and a towel on the head and a mask going like she just got out of the shower yeah. getting ready for a date the french maid and the one with big hair a homeless person ish mm. the cowgirl a nurse who's smoking a cigar <laughs> and then one that looks like a dominatrix yeah i could think it'd be like is it all the various aspects like various personas it, yeah. that this is every part of her yeah yeah <laughs> how did she keep these when she erased herself huh. that was a question yeah actually i think later don't we see she did make potatoes of them I think they're in his objects. Joel definitely does. He has two potatoes that you see them fleetingly, okay. but they are. I have a new recur. theory. These okay. potatoes are every person she's dated. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually 100% okay <laughs> with, with accepting that as been like, that is, yep. It's like she dated a homeless guy at some point. You know, why not? Every time they get Lacuna too, it's like, all right, take one more potato off the shelf. <laughs> what well, the thing is too, why specifically potato? Like, I like to think of it as, as like a Devo thing. It was like, well, we're all spuds, really, aren't we? <laughs> but, uh, I was like, is this some sort of a front where like Robert's invited the Irish guy on to talk about the minute with the potatoes right? reaching prominently? Yeah. You tell me why it's potatoes. You're the expert. I don't know. Because it feels like the fact that the potatoes dressed up is like, well, potatoes all come from the same thing in the ground. They're always the same basic thing until you decorate them with whatever. So it's kind of like a a metaphor for humanity in itself. It's like, well, we're all the same until you put on all the affectations of other stuff. Yeah, you're still just a potato. Yeah. yeah, You take it it all away. You're just a potato. So maybe that's what they're going for. But like, and then how that tie into a movie that's delving into people's actual psyches and stuff. Is that saying like, oh, we're, we're more than just potatoes, though, because everyone inside has their own individual like chasms going on of, of different information and everyone is unique inside and stuff. And yeah. 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 Now, a- imagine if like later in the film, we see she has a shelf of just potatoes with no outfits. Mm. <laughs> She's like, well, sometimes I forget to buy dinner. So I keep the, yeah. <laughs> the potato shelf. At and, and, and Joel gets up from the couch and goes over to across the room to look at these potatoes. And he looks at them close up. Yeah. I would be. That's the things I'd be. I am fascinated by the potatoes. So. Yeah. Her place is cluttered, but those potatoes stand out. I, I am a, a bit intrigued, though, because I do know from well, being Irish and uh, having <laughs> having kept you know bags of potatoes for longer than I should have, they sprout like yep. little things come out of them Yeah, because they're naturally trying to grow back into the ground. Yeah. So I wonder, if, does Clementine have to come and like prune the potatoes every once in a while? Because otherwise they're going to like... Or did know, she seal them sp- with something? So they don't grow. Could be that too. Or maybe she just baked them. Oh, maybe. They're like, yeah, baked potatoes. <laughs> but then they'd still eventually grow some sort of mold. So did she make these all in a short time frame? Maybe. I don't even know how long potatoes last. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried to keep one. Uh, 
but now this the feels like she might uh, like like a bonsai tree. She has to come over and trim the potato, <laughs> change their take outfits, off all the outfits, take off their growths, put the outfits in the washing machine. <laughs> See, interesting potato thing as well is when they do grow those things. Technically, the potato is still edible. Oh yeah, but they become dangerous. There's many times I've just been like, I just just. When you're peeling it, just take those off too. Right. That's fine. And doing that once is fine. If you did that on a regular basis, it would poison you because they, I forget what acid it is, but when they have growing those things, they get more and more acidic (laughs) and it can actually be toxic. Oh, wow. So uh, this might be my last podcast. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Tell people I had a good run. I also know too. Yeah, apparently if they turn green at all, mm, that's like yep. do not eat that. Right, that is a potato warning. I that's when that is taken over, and you, you yeah. don't eat that. I don't know if it's a genetic thing after the potato blight <laughs> back in the famine, but I'm like don't eat it then. <laughs> but about the white things, you can you can pull those off and uh, and eat the rest of it. That's fine. Yeah, so we got them. You know, in your new potential partner's place, yeah. and it's awkward, and you're kind of just sitting. You don't really, you can't make yourself comfortable, right? Because you don't know them that well yet. Ironically, and she's just off in the kitchen making drinks. So what's he gonna do? Yeah, you can't even sink into the sofa properly. You just feel like you're kind of perched and stuff. Yeah. It's like it's it's really capturing it very very well. Yeah, and he he sort of fixes his hair, mm. which is funny because he's not by a mirror that we can see, but he's checking his hair. <laughs> well, just making sure it's still there. Yeah. you know, don't want to come down with whatever Ned virus. He doesn't want to be Ned the head. <laughs> oh man, the Clementine going out with Ned the head. That's a that's a spinoff. I don't think we need. Like we don't need two people that loud. No, <laughs> no. It's a Clementine. Now, don't tell me you don't remember me because I sure as heck I remember you. Oh, like, and Ned would totally make start. He'd start singing. Yeah, he would make jokes about her <laughs> name. Getting, he couldn't help it. But just getting like the note then, like you know, Clementine <laughs> Kajinski has had you remiss from her memory. What? <laughs> Take it off the hat and see if it revives. <laughs> He's <laughs> buying memory insurance. <laughs> if she erases you, you get money. Perfect. Yeah. That's how Lacuna makes money. Like they can't charge for their business. This has been a problem for me, especially the last couple episodes. You can't charge people for something that they can't remember. Oh, that's true. Then they would be like, why am like, I? I'm getting billed by this company on a regular basis. And I don't know if they ever did anything for me. And what are they going to do? I never thought that. That's, that actually is like, that's one of those things that would be in a cinema sins bullshit, like the plot hole of eternal sunshine. Right. The, but the, it actually is. The plot I've hole is that they erase that you went there. Yeah. Somehow he has to get one of those little postcards, just like everyone else does, telling them that he's someone's been erased. He needs one that says, you just erase someone, just in case you have some. Every time then you would be like, I have to go to, I'm going to get the police involved or I'm going to go to my lawyer because like this company has not charged me for a service. I, I've never heard of this company. Right. And then they'd have to go then and be like, okay, this happens all the time. And then they just erase we that case from the police people's brain and they don't even know what he's talking about. And then every time then it would be like, you know, your lawyer come back to you and be like, no, you did get their services, but you can't remember it. And it's like, well, I did it for, we can't tell you because you're not supposed to remember it. Right. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that, that, no, that's, unless they were doing it in like, uh, you know, Superman three office space way where they're like, they get paid over, you know, decades and they just take out minor bits of money over your lifetime or something. Yeah. They, they take little pennies off of all of your transactions for the rest of your life. But that is not a business model at all. That's like, no, nah, that, that wouldn't work either. Because then who, who knows how long anyone's going to live? Like, there's no guarantee you're going to get that money paid off. And the, the business would have taken like Tom Wilkinson would have had to start it when he was like 12. Right. <laughs> like to finally be able to get the thing up and running properly. So I think, well, I'll have to get into this when Tom Wilkinson shows up in the movie is he has to be doing this as a charity. Mm. He just mm. really cares about people being able to erase their memories. <laughs> That's important. And just the end, like everyone is like, oh, it also seems like a nice, decent guy, Tom Wilkinson. Nope. <laughs> He's got his motivations for, you know, having uh, people. Well, you'll get into all that. Like why yeah. Carson Dunst had things erased and stuff. Well, they were right. Oh, it yeah. was his influence or whatnot. But, but yeah, that, that, that's the thing. I never considered that. And now that is going to be like every time someone brings up Eternal Sunshine, I'm going to be like, consider this. <laughs> I just thought of a horrible question. Like on Two Minutes About Time, we were always like, what time in your life would you want to relive if you had the chance and like that? Like this one would be like, who do you want to erase from your brain <laughs> and why? Well, I do like the final line, though, of the minute with like, you know, just drink up a good man. Like it makes the whole seduction much less repugnant when she's standing like right up against him. Yeah, like she yeah. has. I think there's a coffee table there, which is why she's so close. But she basically squeezed into that space between the couch and the coffee table with him mm. and then says, I'll make the whole seduction part less repugnant. I'm like, wow. <laughs> 
But the thing is, though, it's like I kind of admire it for the the sheer honesty of uh-huh. it. Where it's like it's true. <laughs> it's like, well, he knows why he's there. She knows why he's there. Let's just get it out in the open. And it's like, yeah, it'll make the whole seduction much less repugnant. You know, you don't like to think of a seduction as being repugnant, but if you just want to get over the horse. She's got that radical honesty thing going. Yeah. But she also has a bit too much volunteerism of it. Mm. Like you can be honest when people ask you questions, you know, Jim Carrey, liar, liar, but you don't have to volunteer. Yeah. And that's just the, the beautiful contrast of two characters. Joel would never say that because Joel barely ever says anything. <laughs> right. Whereas Clementine will flat out just tell you what she wants to do and how to get there. So, yeah. And she calls him young man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although then considering like Jim Carrey is probably like, what, 43 here. She's right, probably right. like 25 well, or something. <laughs> basically, she's pulling like a Nathan maneuver on him. Ah, she's establishing his reactions by forcing them. Mm. It's like, I'm going to be so honest, you won't be able to say no, <laughs> which is problematic in a way yeah oh definitely oh but then it'd be like you know like you want me to make a blue ruin i just thought of a i already made one 35 minutes ago (laughs) i thought of a horrible version of this story like someone erases you because the relationship went badly and you just go like hook up with them again Mm -hmm. but you didn't get them erased you're just doing it because you're an like Nathan yeah. or Phil. I think that that, that that will have been if there was like a expanded like Oof. eternal sunshine universe. Yeah. That's bad. That would have been an episode of the TV show version. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Or someone like yeah. purposely talks you into having them erased because they know the breakup isn't going well for you. And then they just find you again the next night mm. and start a new relationship. Mm. Oof. It'd just be that thing too. Like it's in uh, Men in Black when you see like Will Smith noting Tommy Lee Jones interacting with Linda Florentino. Yeah. And just like, have you met this lady before? Yeah, a couple of times. Like, have you ever flashy thing to her? Yeah, yeah, a few times. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, oh, these, like, you know, this woman's like, oh, I've never met this man before. It's like, yeah, I've, I've met her many, many times. I've had many right? interactions with this lady. She doesn't remember any of them. And I'm fine with that because that's how I conduct myself. It's much more insidious though, if it's like, yeah, we dated yeah. many, many times. <laughs> like, and she doesn't remember any of it. Well, right, like... Why is Kirsten Dunst still working there? Mm. When you had her erase your affair, get her a job somewhere else. Wasn't there a TV show on HBO Max actually recently with, we call her Christy Marie Leonard, the mother from How I Met Your Mother. And I think there was something like she discovered that her mind had been erased and she had been. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something like I didn't watch it. I remember saying like one Christine, episode. Uh, Miliati. Oh, sorry. Christy Marie Leonard. Where the hell is getting that from? <laughs> but... Yeah. And that's a tech billionaire who she's uh, made for love. Yeah. I think it's like she. Yeah. She's basically lives with Nathan mm. from Ex Machina and he starts tracking her brain and erasing things. Yeah. And then she leaves him. They kind of did make the Eternal Sunshine TV show. It was just yeah. under a different name. And, uh, and it's, <laughs> it's quite actors. dark. It's kind of like this movie where it seems nice and happy and bright and friendly until you really think about what it's doing. Yeah. Cautionary tale. Mm. I have to have to look up now. Like, who's Christy Marie Leonard? <laughs> Where did I get that name from? <laughs> you invented someone. Yeah. Oh, that is a person. Oh. Christina Marie Leonard <laughs> is an actress best known for something called Riley Rewind. I've never heard of that show. <laughs> How do I know this lady? If that's a time loop thing, this is perfect. A teenager with the ability to travel back in time tries to prevent a fellow student from committing suicide. Oh, wow. Maybe this I was had a TV this, series. Maybe I had the TV show erased from my memory. In the fact, like, all I Wait, can remember is the name. How do you have a TV I have to watch this show. <laughs> oh. Let's see. Do I know this? Christina Marie Everlasting Dracula. It's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know any of these things. How the hell do I know this lady? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah maybe now. I've been like, oh, like Christina Marie Leonard's getting a little note through her door. Like, now, nah, oh my God, has had you erased from his memory. <laughs> Please do not promote any of your projects in this general vicinity. She may come up on my shows again, though, because this Rylery Wine might be a time loop of the week kind of thing. Yeah. Dracula in a woman's prison. <laughs> this feels like a thing I would have, I would remember. <laughs> Go through there. No. See, you've watched all of her things and then you erased it so you could experience them again. But you erased it too well. You haven't gotten back to them. Misandry, a Valentine's Day story. Oh, man. All of these titles sound very intriguing, to be fair. Maybe I should look back into this lady to find out, yeah. one, who she is, and two, why I would have erased her in the first place. And I'll see if I can get her on the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> anything else on Eternal Sunshine? No, no. Just great, great movie. And yeah, in revisiting it for the show, discovered that it really holds up. <laughs> it's actually still very, very good. Yeah. 
now I'm getting to the point of like actually feeling old. I've been like nearly 20 years later. Right. But it still feels like, oh, that came out like, yeah, a couple of years ago. I was like, nope, nearly 20 years ago. So if listeners want to hear you be just as succinct as that, where can they do so? Well, you can hear me talk a lot more about Jim Carrey, <laughs> like, like 120 odd episodes Oof. in the midst of Batman and Robin. And uh, yeah, we've covered the, the two Tim Burton movies too. Those are all the, the seasons we've near enough completed. Yeah. As anyone will tell you, there's no shortage of Batman movies. Nope. So we'll we'll be around <laughs> for a while yet. Yeah, you can find that on all good podcatchers and all good social media sites if you just type in Batman. So thank you for listening. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia X Mach and every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. Follow this show on, well, any of your social media. It should show up. It's got Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can find links to those things at lemmingdrops.com. Or join the Facebook group, Lemming Drops Studio Tour. You can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. Let it blow, let it blow. You know, uh, after this year's so-called Oscar race, (laughs) I realized that Dancer for the Man just ain't where it's at. (laughs) And I decided right then and there that no matter what they tried to take away from me, I was going to be who I really am. thank a couple of people I'd like to accept this award on behalf of uh, my new biker friends I'd like to thank MTV for throwing this little shindig giving us an excuse to party one more time got a little bone to pick with the programming department you know I like rap music as much as the nice frightened Caucasian (laughs) but you know would it kill you every once in a while to play a little fog hat But definitely most important to me, I'd like to thank all the ladies. For dressing up so pretty. There's some fine looking see in this room tonight, I'll tell you that much. You're all going in my fantasy file, I'll tell you that. I don't care who your daddies are. Hey, is that chick from the Ricky Martin video going to be at the party? I don't know who she is, man, but I'm mean to find out. Let it flow, let it blossom, let it go. In the sun, the rain, the snow. Love is lovely. Let it flow, baby. Like fucking countries and religions and. And I find it all so abstract. Why am I an American? Why am I Canadian? What is that? What does that mean? Somebody put a line down and said, this is that, you know? Uh, 
you know, we're so much more. And we like are born into a family. So we're told what our family name is. And then your parents choose a name and they say, your name will be Joel. It means the awesomeness of Yahweh, you know, and you have to live up to that dude. And, uh, we're counting on you not to make us look bad. And you're going to go to Harvard and you're going to be a doctor and you're going to be, and by the way, you're a Catholic or you're a Jew or you're, you know, whatever you are. It's like everything is so are these abstract structures that you're given and, and it's supposed to hold you together somehow, you know, and I've just given them up, you know, and I don't need to be held together. I'm fine. Just floating through space like Andy. You know, just flying 6,000 miles an hour around the sun, you know, balancing on tectonic plates that are floating on lava, you know, ready for the end times to occur and whatever the hell is going to happen. I'm just great. That's, that's all great. That's all great. Humanoids have long felt the need to escape the rigors of life through streaming content. And it is I, only I, who possess the necessary skills to fulfill that need. It is... my purpose. You're on a spiritual journey, period. And we're all going to end up in the same place if there is such a thing. And maybe there isn't. Maybe there's just this and that's it. There's me in the teacup. That's it. There's us. We're the universe, man. I like that. That's fine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I don't know what else to say about all this. Yeah. I think I'm tapped out. Okay. You know, unless, uh, I wonder, I wonder if I could do that with other people. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if I decided to just be Jesus. Wow, we got into some crazy shit there, man.